jaded and grumpily? When am I jaded and grumpy? I don't know. What is that in reference to? Somebody make that comment in the Discord. Yeah, dudes made that comment in the Discord. <laughs> I'm not jaded and grumpy. I mean, I am jaded, but I'm not grumpy. Uh-huh. <laughs> what are the seven dwarves again? I don't think grumpy would be the one I'd pick. What is there? There's sneezy, dopey, <laughs> doc. I just want to be doc. I happy? Think. There's happy? There's happy. Yeah, but happy is like... Unattainable. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> too difficult it's too big of an ask i'd be pretty happy with doc yeah, realistic and he's i mean he's a doctor so i think he's just a prospector because you know they're all miners yeah, i mean maybe he has a ph phd in geology or something oh okay doc grumpy happy sleepy bashful mm. sneezy and dopey i mean honestly <laughs> most of those aren't great defining characteristics to have to like bear for your entire every moment so this sentence in wikipedia says doc the leader of the seven dwarves doc wears glasses and often mixes up his words but i just like skimmed that really fast so what i read was the leader of the seven dwarves doc wears glasses and often mixes up his swords mm. it's a different problem but both are very serious Hey everyone, welcome to episode 198 of the MTG Grindcast. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hey Chris. Just like shortened the intro, I figured we'd get right into it. We got previews to talk about. Yeah, I'm, I'm down to do that. There, We start. We left off at last Tuesday, so I think the last card spoiled we talked about on the podcast was Monoskelion. Yes. <laughs> so that, that to give everyone an idea of where we left off, we only had two of the five uh, elemental incarnations at the time. Right. So th for this episode, we don't quite have the full spoiler. And honestly, I don't think we even really wanted to do our top fives quite yet, even if we had just gotten the full spoiler dumped, because that would leave us without the opportunity to talk about some of these cards that aren't really quite making it there. So... Yeah, why don't we just... Do you want to start from, like, most recently spoiled and scroll on down from there? Yeah, we can do that. We're just, like, scrolling through Scryfall. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the first one that catches my eye here is Fury, which got spoiled today. Three red red, three three, double strike. When Fury enters the battlefield, it deals four damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers. Evoke, exile a red card from your hand. So elemental of pyrokinesis not an instant but it can hit planeswalkers and then also when you cast it for its mana cost you you know you, you get a good deal yeah like this this card on its mana cost is like pretty good mm -hmm. but the pyrokinesis isn't played anywhere in legacy right no is like what are the points that we're gonna play pyrokinesis in modern i mean right like it's a sideboard card and in, in legacy when it is played in modern, I think that's probably similar. Generally, the white incarnation is just a way better version of this kind of effect. So, your opponent has to have like a ton of little creatures, or like a red and six and something small. Right, like, and there's a weird combination that you need. Even the like the deck that's full of like cheap creatures, cheap aggro creatures right now is prowess, and like this card's not good against prowess. 
it would be interesting if like a Vengevine deck comes out because mm-hmm. you know every time Vengevine is good, you're always looking for what creatures have effects that are good. Mm-hmm. Like I remember sideboarding in Wispmare playing Hogak, sure uh, to kill Leyland of the Void because Wispmare counted as a creature cast, mm-hmm. and that's where I can see this card and other like fringy evoke cards they've spoiled mm-hmm. really same play it's just like all right is vengevine a card all right and we'll look for creatures that do stuff and sure. these elementals are, are good for that even if they're not generically good like fury i don't think is yeah i mean i'm sure fury will see some play it's just like an option that you know you don't really have access to otherwise it keeps elves from ever becoming particularly good but yeah, I don't think this is a generically strong card the way that some of the other elementals in the cycle have been. And I, I actually think that's a good line for the elemental incarnations. Mm-hmm. But I still don't like kind of free protection. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as big a deal in red because red is just super proactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can, I guess, talk about it more when we get to like solitude. I think it's the white one. Yeah, yeah, and we will. I, I mean, we can just talk about Solitude right now, since that's kind of where we're at, I guess. Yeah, so Solitude is... I can't find it, but I know it's... I actually don't know what it costs. It's 3 white white, right? It's 3 white white, yeah. For a 3-3 flash lifelinker. With when it enters the battlefield, you exile up to one target creature. And then you gain its controller gains life equal to that creature's power yes yeah it just casts swords to plowshares when it comes in and you say three two because it's a three two not a three three oh it's not yeah it's a three two excuse me yeah and you exile a white card to evoke it obviously yep so this card may actually just straight up be the best one of the cycle like generally speaking like grief is certainly like ready to do broken things in broken decks but you can't just like stick it into jund Solitude, I think you can just kind of stick into several of the different white decks. It patches up some of the holes of white removal that we were talking about as reasons why we like some of the new white removal that we're getting, that X converge spell or whatever. But, you know, like this this can get rid of early creatures at a little bit of card advantage loss, but at tempo gain, it works really well with blinking stuff. And I, I think it's going to get cast for five quite a bit. Like that Shriek Maw effect is really, really powerful, and then that leaves you with a 3 2 body. And yeah, this card's just like straight up really good. Yeah, it's so one of the best things about the free cards are the ease of which you can like tap out and do stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I thought, I always thought of when Force Negation got spoiled, you could play your Chase the Mind Sculptor and tap out for it so that you could like counter something if they try to interact with you yep and this card does a similar thing because free interaction is really 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 good and how dare your opponent spend mana on casting the cards yeah and you're really this and the blue one are really like disincentivizing playing creatures i guess i don't really know why you would want to do that but we're doing it yeah and i think i'm not as mad at the blue one because I, I don't know, that card just doesn't hit for me as much as the other ones do. Like, I honestly think it's right there with the red one. <laughs> I think the blue one is pretty good just because, like, the body and the flat, like, it goes really, really well. I, yeah, I think like, it's a good creature card. I think it's a really good Mystic Snake. Right. And, and 
that it just gives you that out when you need to do the evoke and it works really well in like spell queller type decks and so i think that card fits there really yeah that's where i draw the line like i think the blue one's like a default good mystic snake with upside Mm -hmm. but you want to be interested in a mystic snake not just like a random kind of force of will card Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah yeah whereas solitude i think is just really excellent as a free spell yeah i think so too notably swords to plowshares really keeps the death shadow decks down uh this <laughs> could easily just you know if they've got a death shadow and a scourge of the sky claves you just get to kill both of them with one solitude yeah that's probably <laughs> if solitude has major numbers death shadow will likely get out of the format for a little bit before right. people figure out either how to build it differently or if it goes the way of humans and just stays in high predation yep and this is just a really really great way for like a kind of slower deck with a decent amount of card advantage to just buy a ton of tempo in the early game you're sort of mortgaging your your cards a little bit but buying yourself enough time to let your more powerful stuff come online i think it just works really well in like stoneforge mystic type decks and things like that well i mean while we're talking about the incarnations you want to talk about the green one sure so this is Endurance. It's a 1GG 3-4 Elemental Incarnation with Flash and Reach as its extra keyword. Uh, when Endurance settles battlefield, up to one target player puts all the cards from their graveyard on the bottom of their library in a random order. And you evoke it to exile a green card. I like all the stuff that like this hates out that you don't necessarily think of at first. Like it's really good against Doomsday. <laughs> That is true, huh? I, I initially read this as a graveyard hate card because, you know, you use it on your opponent they don't have a graveyard anymore. Oh, I think that's the primary use, yeah. But it also protects you against mill, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just kind of like a Gaia's Blessing that you have to draw. Yeah. yeah. I, I, mean, I think this is just a really good sideboard card. Yeah, I think you're rarely going to main deck it, but I, I agree. It just, you know, is kind of one of the best ravenous traps and much more versatile than ravenous trap and i yeah it's just clearly very good if you can support it with enough green cards and once you get past a couple of turns into the game you know if you have a board and you're just waiting for them to do graveyard stuff you can hold this up and it only costs three mana yeah it's a creature so it could be summoners pacted for yeah that's true (laughs) and you also can ambush stuff with it yeah, because it's large. <laughs> yeah, like if they attack you with a spell queller and then you just play this and eat their spell queller or whatever, that's a useful situation for this card. I, I think this is my favorite of the incarnation cycle. I think mm-hmm. it's the best designed one because whenever someone does anything with their graveyard, it's rarely fair, at least in modern. Yeah, I mean, this is just such a huge and like very easy punish for that. I'm just wondering. It's a green card, though. Like... Yeah, it's true. You have to be playing many green cards to have access to this really early in the game. So I just don't really know what space this is filling. Because anybody can play a Tormod's Crypt. Yes. Like, if you want to have Graveyard Hate, you are allowed to play Tormod's Crypt Relic Lantern. Now, yeah, okay, you, ha- you have to be playing green, but the green decks, in addition to those, now you don't have to play those, you get this version where... It also costs zero mana, but your opponent doesn't know about it. You can't really, 
you know, when you're when you're playing Dredge, you play a specific way when there's a Tormod's Crypt in play. Now you just, like, it, you're not playing around mana being held up. You're not playing around a thing in play. You're just sitting there like, hope they don't have it. I'm just going to Dredge. And I don't know that that's good gameplay, really. I don't think that's... I mean, the great... smarter way would be to pretend they have it if you're allowed to and then just play as if they had Tormod's Crypt, right? But I don't think that's good or fun, right? Like... I don't think that that's a good pressure or play pattern to put on all players at all time. Like I got to play as though they have solitude up at all times. I've got to like, I don't think this is fun. So uh, I don't want to compare this card to solitude because it doesn't it's do a, the same thing. But it's the same thing. If you're playing a deck that this is good against is what I'm saying. Like, I think that that free spell that just like utterly punishes a game action that you don't know if they have it or not but it's cost zero mana. I think that's fundamentally like not a fun thing to just be, have to be thinking about all the time. So you're like anti ravenous trap too. Well, ravenous trap is a lot more specific and a lot more, you can much more easily play around ravenous trap. I, I think that that is different enough from this. I mean, but there's also a difference in, you know, ravenous trap gets rid of their graveyard forever. And that's just shuffles it back. So as long as you're left with a treasure, you're, you can keep doing stuff, like in the dredge example. I don't think that that's particularly relevant, honestly. I, I don't either, but it's not irrelevant, and I don't... I mean, it, this card is basically Ravenous Trap to me, it, against dredge graveyard matchups, and Ravenous Trap is... Mm, but I No, because I think it's really different, because you just can't sideboard Ravenous Trap as your graveyard hate if you're also thinking about Persist, like like the, the, the two-mana reanimate spell, or... If you're thinking about oh, sure, 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 for like format stuff. Right. And it's just like, this is going to be so much more omnipresent. And so like, if somebody's willing to put as specific a card as Ravenous Trap in their sideboard, then okay, like I'll, I'll take that L, I guess. But when it's a card like this, I am, I, I think that it's actually like kind of a problem to just like anytime anybody wants to be doing graveyard stuff, they just like have this hovering around and i like i don't think it adds to like your options in a particular like anybody already could just play tormod's crypt and then that informs the game and i i, I just i don't really love what this is doing honestly okay i i don't agree i like this card yeah that's fine <laughs> what do you want to talk about next we've done all the incarnations yes we've done all the incarnations scrolling through there is uh, Soul Talisman. This is no mana cost. It's a soul ring, but has suspend three for one generic mana. Sweet. We've a, we're finishing out the cycle of Mox Tantalites. Yes. It, it is less just like really awful looking to me than Mox Tantalite because you're actually like getting something out of the deal eventually. Like Mox Tantalite is just like a single rampant growth, but at least this is two mana. Okay, I see. I was more disappointed in Mox Tantalite because the art is so good for that card. Like, I really like sure, the art of that card. Sure. And it, they just wasted it. Whereas the Soul Talisman's art, I could take it or leave it. Like, who cares? Right. But I'm just saying, like, this is a card that it actually does something. Like, has a little tech. Like, Mox Tantalite is basically just worse search for tomorrow. This one actually gives you two mana if you make it work. And so it's like it's Soul Ring is worth two cards. That's one of the reasons Soul Ring is so, so, so busted. Yeah, this card is almost a Lotus Bloom, basically. Mm -hmm. 
the problem is you'd never play it instead of Lotus Bloom if you're interested in that effect. <laughs> but right. it's kind of close. Yeah, I mean, you probably just... Yeah, I mean, that Lotus Bloom is probably just straight up better than this card in, like, every single situation, so... Eh. There's not many decks that want Soul Ring in play tapping multiple turns, like, without getting a huge burst. Right. And then also are willing to wait three turns after the first turn of the game. And then also are willing to, like, draw Soul Rings a couple of turns into the game. Like, Soul Talismans a couple turns into the game. Yeah. I'm not super excited about it, for sure. Let's see. Oh, we can do a quick call out for Foundation Breaker, which is a 3G 2-2 elemental with evoke one energy... Uh, when it is the battlefield, you can destroy an artifact or enchantment. Yep. This is the Wisp Mare I wish I had access to uh, <laughs> in tw- summer 2018. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, obviously, certainly I am partial to it because it's an obvious addition to a living end deck. But also, like, it just does this thing really efficiently. And plenty of decks are going to want exactly this effect. It's a naturalized that you can summoners pack four and cost two mana. Uh, they're just like various things that you might want this for. It's also a May ability, which is nice because you don't, you can evoke it and not destroy your own like as told or whatever. Sure. If you need a graveyard trigger or something like that, I guess. Uh, if you need it in your graveyard. I don't know. I, I don't know the reason. Sure. Or yeah, if you just want to cast a 2-2 to block with or something, I guess. But sure. But definitely like fills a hole that we have felt in magic the gathering so i i like this card a lot oh dothy Voidwalker. black black for a three two dothy rogue with shadow which means that it can only block or be blocked by creatures with shadow if a card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere instead exile it with a void counter on it tap sacrifice dothy Voidwalker. Choose an exile card an opponent owns with a void counter on it. You may play it this turn without paying its mana cost. This is just in the category of, like, creatures that if you don't have the Fatal Push or Bolt, like, it's absolutely disgusting. Uh, Yeah, I read this card and I'm like, this is a really weird... Uh, As I'm reading this card, I'm like, alright, this is a really weird Leyline of the Void variant. It's just Leyline of the Void on a creature. You can't, like, you know, Leyline it. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the second half of the card, which is just... You randomly get to cast a card to, that went in the graveyard for free? For free. Yeah, and then for free. I missed that the first time. I thought you had to cast it. Yeah. But you can actually just... If they're a graveyard deck, they'll naturally fill up their graveyard. But most of those decks you don't cast anything out of. Like, it's not good. But uh, I think someone said on Twitter, you can just, like, play this on turn two and then turn three Uthotsis then and then play their, whatever Uthotsis out of their hand. Yeah. The the funny example was Karn, but like, why is this card in your deck against Tron, kind of? <laughs> well, I think for exactly that reason, probably. Like, like I don't think it's completely insane to do that. Like if, to high roll it? Yeah. Like, and especially like if you're playing Grief, you know, you can, then you don't have to wait as long to Thought Seize them. You, you can play this and Grief on turn two, and then you... They, they gotta kill this so you're casting whatever the biggest thing from their hand was because <laughs> this could just be part of your deck when it's not doing the graveyard hate thing if you're playing discard spells like at some point you probably will get something that you want and when you don't it's just you know it's got three power it's unblockable it costs two mana yeah, this card's huge yeah. like it's it's a two mana three power unblockable creature with a really restrictive mana cost, but well, it's not doing its thing. Like, if you're not casting a spell, it's just killing them. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, this is definitely 
a pretty high variance card. This is the type of card that, depending on your opponent's hand, like, it could be really, really great. Or it could be, like, exactly the thing that they want you to spend your turn two doing. Like, if you cast this and they're like, I accept, end of turn, fatal push it. Like, you didn't, you didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> no. I was, I was going to say Lightning Axe, your guy, but the card they discard goes away, which is kind of unfortunate. And it's same thing with the like a lightning bolt so like if they bolt the first one and then you have another one at some point if you wanted to you could cast the bolt because they all have void counters like um, karn silver counters yes exactly and the karns can reuse the other karn things just like these guys can reuse so i wonder if there's also a way you know if you unearth it or if you bring it back and give it haste somehow like you know you can you can keep casting stuff I don't know that that's a particularly useful thing to be doing, but I don't know. This card is sweet, like incredibly powerful, especially against the graveyard decks. And then it has like really high upside, but it is very, very bad against one mana removal spells. And it has a ceiling or like a pretty low floor, I guess. Like even against a random control deck, they'll cast their Archmage's Charm or whatever. And then eventually you can just cast that card if you want to cash in for two more cards. Right. It's just the floor is when it turns on a cheap removal spell and you get like, yeah, sure. You know, it just doesn't really work getting it like helix or whatever. Isn't that bad, but there's plenty of one or zero mana removal spells now. So, and it is nice that it can't really block. Right. So right. it's horrible against creature decks. Yeah. Like this is not the card that you want against prowess. This is just a liability against a deck like that. What do you think about the reprint riptide laboratory? I'm glad that it's around. I don't know that it'll be good enough but certainly riptide laboratory plus snapcaster mage is sweet yeah that's exactly how i feel it's it just exists in the format now and i don't think it's gonna be particularly playable yeah but most mostly because the blue decks nowadays cost so much blue mana they're all playing force of negation a million blue cards archmage's charm cryptic command sometimes it's just you have to jump through a lot of hoops right and the decks that use snapcaster mage really well tend to be like several color because you want to be you want to have access to right fatal push or bolt and path to exile to flashback uh maybe you could do with a little bit less because of suspend but you don't want to be playing a really long game with suspend as one of your removal spells so i I don't know it'll be cool if this works vendillion click is not really you know the card that it used to be snapcaster mage still still pretty good i think but I'm not sure that that's going to be the way that this format goes. Yeah, I think it's a little too slow, and there's just better ways of accruing value without introducing like mana variants into your deck by having a colorless land. Yeah. We've got Sithis Harvest's Hand. This is green-white for a 1-2 legendary enchantment creature, Nymph. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you gain one life and draw a card. So we have a two-mana enchantress now. If you want to be doing, you know, Utopia Sprawl enchantment heavy stuff, I'm not sure. I mean, we've got Solitary Confinement, so maybe that's... Sterling Grove, Solitary Confinement. Right, right. Sterling Grove gives this card Shroud because it's an enchantment creature. (laughs) Yes. Which is a neat little interaction, which it doesn't do with, like, a... Uh, Argothian and Chanchus 
for instance. Right. And we've got Enchantress's presence as well in this set, right? So, mm -hmm. and this triggers that. So you draw a card, you know, you can have your entire deck be enchantments, including all of your Enchantresses. I think if you want to do like a, a prison style enchantment deck, because that's all the Enchantress decks are, right? They're yeah. just prison decks. Elephant grass. Yeah. There's a lot of like Haymaker enchantments in Legacy. A moat being one of them. That's definitely not modern. Right. I I'd have to do like several scryfall searches to see if this is a viable thing you can do. But I do know that's uh, Sterling Grove, which is a reprint. It's a green and a white enchantment you control a shroud, and then you can pay one and sack it to tutor for an enchantment. It puts it on top of your library. Right. Yeah, and, and it goes on top. Yeah. But that gives a huge amount of protection and consistency for just these enchantment decks and you have hall of heliod's generosity to rebuy it back mm -hmm. i just don't know what you're doing with your enchantments like i don't know how you stop your opponent from winning and i don't know how you win yet right i mean we are getting solitary confinement as well and that actually i mean depending on what point in the game you're at that actually kind of works with hall of heliod's generosity if you don't want to skip your draw step or discard a... Well, I mean, you. I guess you skip your draw step, but you don't discard the card. You get to keep rebuying it with Hall of Heliod's generosity. But obviously, you really want a full-on card advantage engine to keep it going. That's yeah, not I a guess... way to win the game, necessarily, unless you've completely locked your opponent out, but... I mean, that's actually pretty good, right? Because mm -hmm. you can... If you have Solitary Confinement and any Enchantress into play... Yeah. Oh, just... that's true. You just discard, you don't discard a card, you sack the solitary confinement, put it back on top of Hall of Heliod's generosity, play it, draw a card off the Enchantress effect, and then you just, like, have a card to draw. Right. Have, have a card to discard for next turn. And you probably have, like, a lot of mana, because one of the things that Enchantress decks like to do is play all of the mana enchantments. So certainly you'll have Utopia Sprawls, and probably, we don't have Wild Growth, so you probably actually play Fertile Ground, but... Huh, yeah, this is kind of scary now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Honestly. I kind of want to pick up some of these enchantments now, but I still have to figure out a way to kill my opponent. And the only thing that's coming to mind is uh, Honden of Burning Rage. Well, solitary, if you completely lock your opponent out, this just, like, solitary confinement just kills them, right? So, oh, by milling them out? Yeah. Although, I guess if you're casting it every turn, you can't stop yourself from drawing the card. So, you gotta, you yeah. do have to figure something else out. Yeah. And there's always the chance your opponent can like kill you while you don't have Shroud with Solitary Confinement. True. So this is the hard lock with two Solitary Confinements. Right. So this is going to take a little bit of work, but... Huh, yeah, that's that's a neat little sketch. I'll have to do some searches. Yeah, we don't this, have... Uh, we don't enchantment have stuff has uh, intrigued me. Words of wilding in modern, so... <laughs> we can't just skip all of our draws in order to do that. In order to get some bears. Does that work with Solitary Confinement? I don't actually know. Like if you don't have a draw step, if you skip it with words of wisdom, or is that just the first time you draw a card? Like it skips your next. It actual... Yeah, it just skips the next draw that you would get. So it's, not your actual draw step. It, okay. You know, once you have like five enchantress effects in play, and then you play an enchantment and you make five bears. You know. Yeah. But uh, not modern legal and not getting a reprint quite yet. Gonna write down some enchantments before I forget about this conversation. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, just the enchantments that we got in this set are cheap enough. The the components are cheap enough that, I don't know, like, I, I could definitely see something. And it's all within green and white, so it's very compact. Can we talk about Thought Monitor? Yeah, this card's sweet. 
six and a blue artifact creature construct, two, two flying. When it enters the battlefield, draw two cards, affinity for artifacts. Yeah, this card is nice. Yeah. I really like this one. So this card costs two more mana than Thoughtcast, and you get a two, two flyer attached to it, basically. Uh, but it's a creature. Creatures are reusable, but not super relevant for artifact decks. The only thing you really do with creatures in artifact decks is equip them with cranial plating. Although you <laughs> are... I don't know if... Hmm. I mean, it depends on what you are. If you are a slower deck, like, Talarian Academying, this back is usually going to be better than your draw step. Yeah, if you've got enough artifacts in play. Yeah. The rough part would be figuring out how to have that many artifacts in play. Because the modern is not a format where you have a lot of time, and the artifacts in the format are not like zero mana anymore. They're not cheap. Right. The old affinity cards are all busted because, you know, <laughs> you played your land for turn and it was an artifact. Well, you know, you do have now scrolling. Academy Manufactor. Three mana one three. If you would create a clue, food, or treasure token, instead create one of each. So I love this card. Mm-hmm. I have this on my uh, my list of cards I'm definitely buying. It, it just provides so much stuff on the battlefield. I don't exactly know how I'm taking advantage of it yet. Gilded Goose is like pretty good with it. It is boltable, which yeah. is really sad. I love this card too, but it's on my list of three mana creatures that die to Lightning Bolt. Which is it coincidentally the the... The Venn diagram of that bubble and creatures that you cannot play in modern is like, you know, there's a lot of overlap there. The only thing I've seen that makes this card... I've seen a lot of decks trying to, like, gingerbread cabin, cauldron familiar stuff, which does enable the card. Like, you, you get to start making a bunch of stuff, but, but your cards are so weak in those shells <laughs> that they are not worth casting. Like, in modern, you're just not going to win a game like that. Right. The other corollary is Ari Lax's Glimpse of Tomorrow deck. I believe that's what the red free spell is called. Mm-hmm. That is uh, suspend three red red. And when it, un- it has no mana cost. And when it unsuspends, you shuffle everything you own into your library and then reveal like many cards from the top and put all permits into play. To, to clarify, it's suspend three colon red red. So it yes. only costs two mana to suspend, but takes three turns to to cast yeah the joke with that one is you put everything into play you trigger everything that makes clues or foods or treasures with one of these things that came into play that turn so there's like a narrow window to get rid of it then you just make a million clues or foods and treasures which gives you enough mana to you know cast eternal witness or whatever to buy back the glimpse of freedom recast it off the as foretold you flipped over just yeah. like or you and then you put like, your entire deck into play you could hit like goblin dark dwellers to flash it back too or something like that is also I, an option yeah you can do that but since you're playing zero spells in your deck goblin dark dwellers is horrendous if you're not literally putting into play with that card yeah but i mean your whole deck is built around this card right that's the that's the entire joke yeah and that, that's the only and that's I mean, we're talking about Academy Manufacturer mostly, because mm-hmm. I, I like that deck with Glimpse of Tomorrow. I just don't know if it's playable at all. Sure. I Yep, I'm with you. This is one that just requires checking out. Yeah. So, like, if you're doing anything with either of these cards, like a Glimpse or Academy Manufacturer, it's a, an experiment. You're just seeing what you can do, how you can push boundaries of modern, and I think they're really, really good inclusions to the format for that. Yeah. Even if they don't like pan out, and I don't really expect them to. 
I I don't think I think it's pretty hard to make these suspense spells work. Generally, the ones that we're getting here. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about Gaia's Will while we're on the topic of suspend cards? Sure. Gaia's Will is a, a no mana cost sorcery, but it's green. Uh, it's got suspend four for a green mana. And it's Yagon's Will. Until end of turn, you can play lands and cast spells from your graveyard. And if a card would be put into your graveyard from anywhere this turn, exile that card instead. So, this card is horrendous. Yeah. It's just very bad. I think it's awful. Uh, if you've played Past in Flames or Yawgmoth's Will, similar cards, you know that the way you play these cards is not, all right, I'm going to start by casting this in my upkeep and <laughs> use my hand to cast these cards, and then they all get exiled because that's what Yawgmoth's Will at Past in Flames says, and Guy's Will as well. And then I don't have anything to rebuy. Because you're not just like dumping cards in the graveyard and using this as a value card. I mean, I guess you can, but it's horrendous for that. You just cast your Black Lotus, your Lion's Eye Diving or whatever, put them all in the graveyard, use your entire hand, then cast this card, play everything from the graveyard. So the second time, when they get exiled, it doesn't matter. You won the game. Geisel doesn't do that. You right. just have to exile everything off the front. Right. The upside is that you're not paying any mana for it on that turn, I guess. But it's just so, you know, suspend four. So you suspend this on turn one. You're not doing it until your turn five. You've completely telegraphed to your opponent what you're going to do. If they have any graveyard hate, they just spent the last several turns digging for it. And then they just know when to do it. And they just have a perfect opportunity to do it. Like when this, like as this thing resolves, like right before, right, depending on what's in your graveyard, like it just doesn't, I don't think this card works. And there's no real way to get around to like cheat it. Like you can't fit this into a deck that cascades into it. That's not going to work with the cards that you want to have in your graveyard to Yogwill. Uh, you can't really do it with like as foretold because that's just like jamming two different decks together and the pieces aren't going to function. So I think this card just doesn't work basically. Yeah, it's it's neat though. I like the art; it's a, a complete reflection of the Ogmoth Will art, <laughs> which is nice. But yeah, this card's horrible. Yeah, it's a cool throwback, right? But uh, we got Shardless Agent printed into Modern. I think this card is uh, kind of tough to use in a particularly like fair deck. I'm not sure that that's a type of deck that is going to exist in Modern. Like, I guess you can Shardless Agent into Ice Fang Quaddle, and that, I mean, maybe that'll be a thing. I, I would be fine with that. But it also allows you to condense the living end deck. Like the blue living end deck can be three colors now. Uh, you just, you're just teamer, violent outburst, and this is a way... You, you upgrade your like worst cascader into a cascader with an actual effect. Obviously, art and play was fine, especially compared to demonic dread which was sorcery speed and needed a target in order to be cast but this is even better it comes with a 2-2 but more importantly you're down to three colors now and we got foundation breaker as a substitute for wear tear so the white isn't even really doing anything that important anymore so that blue living end deck i think just has a clear pathway to how it's going to be built now so that's nice yeah i think that's the best place to put charlotte's agent for now like, we can always dream of cascading into Ancestral Vision mm -hmm. is, like, the thing. But I find myself wanting to play Riven Six in a lot of those blue decks. And if I'm trying to cascade into Riven Six, that's, like, pretty good. Yeah. But then I also have Ancestral Vision in my deck. Or it's... maybe you just have Renin Six in your deck. 
I mean, Shardless Agent into Renin 6 is great. That's true. Yeah, like, I'm actually on board for that. Do you have a blocker for your Renin 6? And it's just... I, I basically don't need to have Shardless Agent be anything but like a value card. I don't need to set up Ancestral Vision or something like that. I just don't think it's necessary. Right. And it's also really unreliable because Brainstorm is not in this format. Yeah, you can't cheat the Cascade, right? So, and, and Ancestral Vision is just like pretty slow and awkward. Unless you also are doing as foretold stuff, then I, I don't really see that. And that's probably just not really a thing. Um, but Childless Agent is probably going to surprise us in the places that it does pop up because the card is pretty good. I guarantee it will not surprise me because it is a card with Cascade. Yeah, well, <laughs> but I mean, like, it will pop up. It'll come up in decks that, like, we didn't think of building. And then it's just like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, that's a way you can use it. Yeah, for sure. Can't pass by Ignoble Hierarch without commenting on that. It exists. If you want a Noble Hierarch that makes different colors of mana, you have it now. It is good. It is just as good as the Noble Hierarch. <laughs> yep. And better in some decks. And in some decks, you want more than four copies of this because Exalted stacks really, really well. So It also combos with the other Exalted Goblin, which is named... <laughs> Exalted Goblin. <laughs> it's a common for like Modern Horizons one, but yeah, you shouldn't I'm play that card. Not confident that that card is part of the Goblin Exalted tribe that we're slowly building. <laughs> one card at a time. Yeah, one Modern Horizon set at a time. One card at a time. In like thirty years, this is this deck is going to be great. I think the card is Goblin Champion, actually. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Okay. I just always called it Exalted Goblin every time I played it. <laughs> I think we're going to keep skipping the squirrel cards generally. I actually think Chatterfang is really good. The legendary squirrel. Yeah, that one could be a standalone. I, I've come around on Chatterfang. Chatterfang, mm -hmm. the squirrel general, is a 2G3-3 legendary creature squirrel warrior uh, with forest walk. Uh, it has B sacrifice X squirrels to give target creature minus, or excuse me, plus X minus X until end of turn. And if one or more tokens would be created under your control, instead you create that many tokens plus that many squirrel tokens. So it's kind of like an anointed procession, but it only makes one ones, but it also costs a mana less and has a 3-3 body on it. Yeah, with a removal spell attached to it. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see this. This is not a member of a squirrel deck. This is a way to power up a tokens strategy. Yeah, it also doesn't specify creature tokens. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the Academy Manufacturer piles or just Tireless Sharper or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Every time you make a clue, a treasure, a food, anything, you get a squirrel that comes along with it. Yeah. Which means you can, in certain weird loops, like if you can sacrifice squirrels to generate uh, food or treasure, like with uh, Cauldron, uh, which is that thing, excuse me. Mm -hmm. You can like generate squirrels, yeah. Squirrels, right. <laughs> like this. Yeah, I mean, every every cauldron loop, yeah, you get a squirrel out of it. And if you have multiple cauldrons, you're getting multiple squirrels. I, I There are a few things in this set. Cat Oven has not gotten there in Modern yet, but, you know, th there are a few things that are getting it closer and closer to being something that I want to be doing. I think the limiting factor on cat oven is mostly the cat i think the oven's a defensible card mm -hmm. it's just a one man artifact with a that generates artifacts and that's always been good right 
it's just the danger of like how many cats do you play how do you get on your graveyard because you never want to draw that card or cast it right and i mean you're also bearing the weakness of using the graveyard without also being dredge so Mm -hmm. you know you get the vulnerability to the hate without the payoff of being dredge so do you want to like talk about faithless salvaging (laughs) no i do not (laughs) okay (laughs) what about strike it rich uh which one where's strike it rich hold on strike it rich is the red mana sorcery that makes a treasure token and has flashback 2r oh i mean this is basically wild canter but like kind of worse right i think it's kind of better okay i mean there's some instances where being a creature is better than being a spell yeah but being an artifact with and at having flashback is also very good because it's not vulnerable to like i mean you're not killing a wild canter ever mm-hmm but you do stuff with artifacts like you can trash for treasure this or treasure for treasure this as we like to call it now. you have to you must yeah i mean and wild canter has certainly popped up in spots it, you know it's kind of wild canter has been nice because it can convert red or green to any mana this only converts red to any mana i mean i'm sure because it is so cheap and gives you mana at some point like uh, certainly this will see some amount of play yeah that's that's all it is it's just i think this is one of the few cards that's guaranteed to see modern play Mm -hmm. in like fringe decks Uh, i just don't know what those are yet yeah yeah oh we skipped ragavan let's talk about him ragavan nimble pilfer costs 90 dollars one red (laughs) for a two one Whenever Ragavan Nimble Pilfer deals combat damage to a player, create a treasure token, and exile the top card of that player's library until end of turn, you may cast that card. Dash, one in a red. Boy, this is... for The amount of text they have to put on a red one drop to, like, make you consider it would make it, like... Obviously, Ragavan would be absolutely phenomenally busted in any standard environment, and it still is just, like interesting i wonder if there's a way to use this incredibly busted one red one mana attacking creature in modern i think this card is incredibly incredibly good Mm -hmm. but for reasons kind of auxiliary to attacking with it i mean it it only attacks so you have to get that in yes but it's not like i'm playing this to deal two damage to my opponent every turn like that's not what i'm interested in dealing this to make a treasure every turn yeah, treasure is huge. Let me kind of ignore the fact that it like exiles the top card of your opponent's library, and sometimes you get random crap off of it. Your opponent's library sucks for you. It's yeah, it's always bad. It, there's twenty or so lands in there, which are complete misses. You can't play them, and then there are a bunch of spells, most of which don't do anything in your deck. So. I've brewed several decks with Ragavan, and my favorite ways to use him are... None of them have been like Monored or Boros Burn decks or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just been Mox Amber and yeah. Midrange decks. I think those are where he's best. Like, you really want to minimize the fact that Ragavan dies to Lava Dart. So you really don't want anything else in your deck to be Lava Dartable. Right. So having one thing that dies to Lava Dart, it's fine. You just don't want to like double up on that weakness. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think Midrange decks and Mox, Mox Amber is good. Because uh, with mid-range decks, you just play him on turn one, attack with him. Like the the, the window for killing a one drop on turn one in modern is very small. Even with solitude added to the format, they just have to like two for one themselves to get rid of your one drop. That's you'll take that. And if you're not an aggro deck, if you're a mid-range deck, you're like pretty happy about that because then 
you know, maybe your Dreadhorde Arcanist or whatever is easier to do stuff with. Yeah, you just like connect with this and then play Liliana on turn two or, or whatever your mid-range style is, like mm-hmm. whatever you're doing. Shardless Agent if you want to. Like, there's a million ways you can... Def- Probably and- not Shardless Agent because of the risk of cascading into Raghavan with Shardless Agent. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I haven't built the Shardless Agent <laughs> Raghavan deck, but, I mean, if you're in Teamer, come on. Yeah, yeah. You could Shardless Agent into Renin 6. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I don't mind... Right. I Like, I don't mind Raghavan in a Renin 6 deck, certainly. I'd, oh yeah, that, I've, I've built several because yeah. Mox Amber is really good with Argavon. If you connect with him on turn two and have a Mox Amber, you can just play a four drop. Yeah. What four drop do we want? I mean, like the world's uh, your oyster, but like yeah, the world's your oyster. I've pl- I've done Urza, which I don't think is actually very good because it's hard to have that much stuff with uh, <laughs> supporting Raghavan, Mox Amber, and Urza. Right. Like, that's just a lot to ask for. I haven't yet built a cohesive deck with those cards yeah and you've also got to be playing some amount of cheap removal to support ragavon getting through and then you're you know you're playing red and six as well and it's just yeah not totally sure but you know urza is a great mid-range card so if you can make this work there's something possibly you can also just play like a three drop save the treasure and uh, go into titania which mm-hmm. is a card i really like mm-hmm. yeah like because you don't have you don't have to jam right then. Right, the treasure, your treasures are going to be useful at some point in the game, certainly. Mm-hmm. I, I just really like this card. It's, I, I'm super excited to just brew a bunch of stuff with it because I think it's very good and right. I think Box Hammer has been overdue for breaking in modern. Right, but the key is right. I don't think this is good in an aggro deck like the red aggro decks have their one drops and this doesn't deal as much damage as soul scar mage or monastery spear or goblin guide so if you want mm-hmm. damage this isn't what you want if you want and, some sort of long ter- longer term advantage this can do it and just think about like if you're trying to put this in an aggro deck just think about every time you talk about the goblin guide right yeah you get to look at the top card of your opponent's library uh how many times do you actually want to cast that card because it's almost never yeah it's just not <laughs> Ever. At least with a mid-range deck, like you hit something and eventually you can get some amount of value on it. You like hit a one of their removal spells or you hit like just whatever. At some point you'll just be like, yeah, okay, I'll just cast this. It costs mana that I wasn't gonna use this turn and I'll it's worth half a card against you. But generally, like modern decks are so linear and focused that your opponent's cards are not good in your deck. Yeah, I I will call out just to ease confusion for anyone listening, that this isn't like Robert the Rich. Uh, you only get the card you exile until the end of turn. Oh, you don't that's get to true. Carry yeah, it yeah. around. Yeah. Right, and and it's only like later in the game that you would have just mana cat left over to cast some nonsense. So you're probably pretty ahead if your Ragavan's still connecting at that point. And <laughs> yeah, Ragavan's for early game advantages. If you draw them later in the game, you're that's why Dash is actually pretty good on this card. Mm-hmm. Because you really want to not know your opponent, not tell your opponent that the Ragavan's coming, sure. so you can actually try to get hit in. Yeah, yeah. Or if you've like cast removal, right? They attack with something, maybe even leave something back. You kill it at the end of the turn, and then this can come in, and yeah. So I don't know. This card's it's a lot of stuff for one mana, so that's why I want to do something with it. But don't get tricked by that exile the top card ability. It's not very powerful. That's not yeah. much of the card. 
I think this card is busted in the right ways. Like mm-hmm. it's highly interactive. You have to attack. You have to have combat. Right. Like you're. It's it's that sort of thing. Yeah, like their shardless agent is really good against this and stuff. So. Oh, let's see. Archon of Cruelty, six black black, six six flying. Whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks. Target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker, discards a card, and loses three life. You draw a card and gain three life. I think the only reason that this spell has a mana cost is so that you can't, like, cast Unearth on it. But uh, we're not casting this, but we do have cards that make us look for reanimation targets, and this is about the biggest titan we've ever seen, so. Uh, Yes, I think... Honestly, you still may be competing with Grave Titan because Grave Titan has so much and is actually castable. Yeah. But this card certainly works you when it's in play. Yeah, and it... Like, it certainly is more powerful in more situations than Grave Titan when you do reanimate it. But yeah, like, the castability of Grave Titan is is a big difference maker sometimes. Because modern reanimator decks are slow compared to like their legacy counterparts if a legacy deck just never gets past four four mana that's just like not thing that happens well so those reanimator decks actually cast grave titan in post board games a reasonable amount of the time because you just dark ritual it out yeah (laughs) but that's a little yeah that's kind of neither here nor there but you're playing grave titan because it's castable in legacy (laughs) dark ritual aside like dark ritual is just like more lands for you right i mean and that was also like the places that's kind of old school and like it was an alternative plan in certain types of reanimator and like re like the reanimator dark depths hybrid deck too like that it was so you know that's not really a thing but i have had grave titan dark ritualed out against me in legacy and it is kind of sweet oh yeah it's good i that's kind of where my mind goes to with these pers Persist is a, a 1B sorcery that you put a non-legendary card from a graveyard onto the battlefield to give it a minus one, minus one counter. Mm-hmm. That's what Persist does. It's like the reanimation spell we're talking about. Uh, it's it's very good as a reanimation spell. Yeah. But I've been measuring things up against Grave Titan in my, like, what are we targeting with Persist thing? Mm-hmm. So like, Gra- Grave Titan is just a really good fail state. It's a fine reanimation target, and it's really easy to cast, like, if the game goes long. Yeah, yeah. And I do kind of like the idea of, you know, like a blue-black kind of mid-rangey controlling deck that mostly just has regular magic cards in it, but then just also has some of the new Entomb, some of pers- a few copies of Persist, and some stuff to get back with it, which may be like primarily Grave Titan because you can cast that too. And you can also have a copy of Unburial Rites in your deck because you can Entomb that with the Entomb. So your Entomb is also like a slow reanimation spell as well. So, And I think the best cards to like reanimate in the theoretical like blue-black reanimator deck, the uncastable cards, would be this Archon mm-hmm. as one of them. And the other is Tide Spell Tyrant, which is an old Ravnica card. Mm-hmm. Tyrant is a little tough because... It costs a million blue mana. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not very castable. But also, like, after you reanimate it, are you going to be able to cast enough spells, like, in a timely way that it is effective? You know, in Reanimator, in Legacy, you could set that up in a bunch of different ways, including just, like, I have a Lotus Petal 
and I can, you know, so I can do stuff this turn. And also, a lot of times you'd bring it back after you brought back a Gristlebrand and you'd bounce all of their permanents or whatever. So I'm not sure that it's going to be the same card at all in Modern, but it certainly is an option. Uh, yeah. I, I don't really have anything more to say about reanimator piles until I get like in the trenches with them. Right. And of course, if you are t- very reliant on reanimating as part of your strategy, I mean people are already playing a lot of graveyard hate cards and just like three or four incredible graveyard hate cards are in this set. So <laughs> I wouldn't go ham. Got to be reasonable about it. Yeah. Oh, we should spend some time talking about moderation because this is a sweet one. Oh, can we talk about curse totem first? Cause that's, I have that first. Uh, sure. Cause it, this is just real brief. Curse totem is a two eight artifact from Mirage. That just says activated abilities, creatures can't be activated. It's like a global Linvala. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if you want to beat Heliod, this is a way to do it. I think that's what it's notable for. Like, our, our, one of the Death and Taxes lists that won a modern tournament, a manager's modern tournament recently, was just a million Linvalas just to crush Heliod. Right. And it worked. Yep. It did. Works against, like, Yawgmoth, too. Any color can play this. It is... Skyclave apparition a bull, so it's not a complete knockout punch, but it works. Yeah, it's just a card that you have to be aware of now. Mm-hmm. All right, we can talk about moderation now. Well, just to also point out that with Cursed Totem, it is a little bit, at least with Lenavala, like you're clocking them probably. It's got it's a three power flyer, and so you're trying to close the game out while they are trying to find their Skyclave apparition. You can't just hide behind a Cursed Totem and like place like they're gonna find an answer to it at some point so you know this might be a little bit of an amulet of safekeeping type card it's not stopping their deck from doing stuff it's just stopping the combo from comboing but yes moderation one a white and a blue enchantment you can't cast more than one spell each turn whenever you cast a spell draw a card you got to be casting spells on your opponent's turn or else this card really really doesn't work we got to have some instants in our deck. Yes. And the best ones are probably the pitch spells. Yeah. Because you're using your extra cards to... Well, you. I mean, ideally for the flash ones, you don't want to pitch them because you'd rather have the creature in play if you're under moderation. Mm-hmm. But because you're drawing a million cards off this card, the the free spells get so much better because you're just afforded so much luxury. Right. And the free the extra cards mean that you'll make your land drops, which means that at some point you will be hard casting those incarnations so i think a moderation deck starts with some number of subtleties solitudes and force and negations and it's just the way it is i've also heard tale of people trying to harmless offering this card to opponents which is cute but probably not great <laughs> yeah it's cute but i think you can make this card pretty good while playing all good magic cards in your deck so yeah. Well, hold on. How do we play the four-color moderation harmless offering demonic pack deck if we're not willing to play bad cards? Well, I mean that—that's you know just a th- con- conceptual impossibility because you just <laughs> named two bad cards and one card that we don't know if it's good yet as your three cards. So in four different colors. Yes. I mean, my basic sketch idea for a moderation deck is you know some number of those incarnations in force of negations and then the base is like probably a 
an ether vial creature deck with blinks ether vial lets you cheat the you can only cast one spell each turn part of the card and moderation does a good job of just buying you back the cards that you kind of spent to gain tempo in the early game whether that's ether vial or using your elementals like i think this deck could be really good and and a huge pain to play against you could also flicker your moderation with Yorion or Flicker Wisp if you want to cast sure. more spells in a turn. Yeah. Which, I mean, I mean, if you're a moderation deck, you usually want to keep it in play. But if your opponent does something crazy, you need to react with a bunch of spells, you always have that option of flickering in a yep. Flicker Wisp, get it away, cast your spells, and go on from there. Yep. And, like, Stoneforge Mystic can provide you with kind of spell-like ways to you can dump some mana into equipping equipment and also cast a spell on your turn and and just still be using your mana so i could i could see this it's definitely tough to use most decks cannot play moderation but you need some combination of instant speed stuff i don't think you want to be playing a super long game with like a bunch of counter spells because at some point if you can only cast one spell a turn they can like veil of summer you and then you're kind of boned but if you can play like a tempo-y game, stuff on their turn, maybe Ether Vile. I like drawing a card every time you cast a spell is a lot of cards. I mean, we all freaked out at Song of Creation, mm-hmm. which never really went anywhere, and that had the text whenever you cast a spell, draw two cards. That's that card's gotta be breakable at some point, right? It just has to yeah, be. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. It's in a lot of colors. Yeah. But I think moderation is like the easier way to make that kind of effect work. You don't have, you to, don't have to, to yeah, discard. discard your hand. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Sea Drake, probably not a card that you can make work in modern. I appreciate that they kept this art, though. Yeah, it's ancient. <laughs> Seeing some of the old art from like artists that just don't work on magic anymore and haven't for like 20 years is kind of wild sometimes. Uh, this is Rebecca Gay, though. Like, this is... I really like this art, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not talking... I mean, Rebecca Gay hasn't worked on any magic things I know, in a while. Either, it's, it's a shame. Like... But yes, it's very difficult. The way the joke with Sea Drake was cast it with one land in play so that you couldn't... Its triggered ability didn't work. That's not really possible in modern, so... And also, it's boltable, so... I don't think there's a payoff there, even if you could make it work. Can we talk about Titania, Protector of Argoth? Hell yeah. Uh, 3GG for a 5-3, Legendary Elemental. Uh, when Titania enters the battlefield, you return target land card from your graveyard to the battlefield. And whenever land you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield. I wonder why it doesn't say dies. Are lands not allowed to die? Only creatures die. Okay. So whenever a land you control dies, <laughs> you create a 5-3 green elemental creature token. This card represents just so much power. At its like very, very baseline, it is 10 power. All you needed was a fetch land in your graveyard, and this is 10 power and then threatening way more. And then there's just a lot of other stuff you can do. If you sandbag any number of fetch lands, she makes way more. We're, you know, we're getting ways to sacrifice a lot of lands if you want. Zurin Orb. Zurin Orb. That card is banned once upon a time. Notably tutorable with Urza's Saga. Yeah, I think that's the only way you want to put this card into play, to be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
The only way you want to put Zurin Orb into play. I bet there's like several different shells that want Titania, though. Yeah, I've built a couple. I like her a lot. She provides so much power so quickly. Yeah. Uh, she's a little on the expensive side, uh, but that's not too bad with like Ren and Six I've included in a lot of these piles. Sure. Because, you know, Ren and Six is just an excellent land based planeswalker mm -hmm. and an excellent card in general. Like, Ren and Six is messed up. Yeah. And we're still allowed to play with him, so I'm, or her, so I'm going to keep playing with her. I would, I could be convinced that there's like a Mox Amber Raghavan deck that plays Titania. With Titania, I have a couple of those okay. in like my notepad. Right. None I'm like in love with. Uh, but yeah. I've toyed around with the idea for sure. You really do need one more cheap legend in there somehow. Yeah, and there's not that many good one drops. Yeah. But, you know, I've also seen shells that are like Elvish Reclaimer decks that use Titania uh, mm -hmm. with. You know, uh, uh, flagstones of Trocare. I th there's just a lot of ways to use this card. It's just too easy to get so much power. If the if the land you bring back is Ghost Quarter, this is 15 power. Yeah, <laughs> man, this card can get out of hand so fast. Maybe this will see a resurgent of Knight of the Reliquary, which mostly exists to show how good Titania is mm -hmm. in comparison to that card. Right, but if you get out like if you get titania and play with an untapped knight of the reliquary you just win yeah. like basically on the spot make a five three grab a fetch land make a five three all right i'm i'm done for now right or or get a ghost quarter make two five threes like you just have 20 power plus your knight of the reliquary in play pick up my ghost quarter with red and six play it you're up yeah, this the the fact that Titania works like because it works when any land goes to the graveyard. It's an instant speed. You can just go score your in, in of your opponent's instep. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really play around rats because Titania can always die. She's boltable. Yep, but she but, gets the land back immediately. They have to res they have to be able to respond to that trigger with a bolt, and even then, all they're getting they're getting a solid mana advantage. But you at least still got a land out of the deal. You're up a card. And if you have a fetch land in play with, with Titania, you just get a 5-3 anyway. Yeah. Which are large and in the game quickly. It doesn't take a long time. And the fact that the upside is like, I just paid 5 mana for 20 power is... <laughs> this card is just really powerful. I, like, that makes me want to play a green 5 drop. So that's what it takes. Yep, this is comparable to Primeval Titan to me. Not in, like, play style or anything. It's just a card that's worth spending a bunch of mana on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down for this one for sure. Opposite end of the spectrum here, we've got Blazing Root Walla. One red for a 1-1 one, one with Madness 0. One red to give it plus 2, plus 0. Oh. You can only activate this once per turn. I mean, this is just going to do Root Walla stuff. If you're playing a bizarre Vengevine deck, you can play extra Root Wallas if that's a thing. I'd love how good dredge is in vintage with bizarre baghdad mm -hmm. and this set has like five evoke creatures to work with <laughs> as root wall as like as as a as more if you want to play that card mm -hmm. it's just like so much stuff that works with discarding it's kind of crazy yeah and bizarre can't be banned because that's what vintage is yeah they they will never restrict it that card costs i don't know what fifteen hundred dollars or something it costs more than i can pay for it yeah that's for sure did you see? Did you see the tweet about the twenty thousand dollars that you're missing? Je Jesse's tweet about Misha's yeah. workshop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a good one. Yes. And we like 
here here is twenty thousand dollars. I would like four mistress workshops, please. <laughs> yes. Do you have anything to say about placing root wallet other than it exists and has madness? I mean, there will be uses for it. I wanted basking root wallet to get a reprint. This is the same thing. Uh, it costs no mana as long as you're discarding cards. I think you know. In we're getting some tools for a hollow one deck to maybe come back and exist between this and Asmore, and like you just get a free body into play if you discard it to your goblin lore. I, it would be nice if you were getting it, discarding it to Faithless Looting, but we don't have that. I mean, I already asked if you want to talk about Faithless Salvaging. I still do not. <laughs> uh, Sanctifier Envec, another one of these ridiculous graveyard hate cards. What? So my favorite part about this is that it mirrors the the Dothy card, because those are both Tempest era mm. like naming conventions. Yeah. This is white, white for a 2-2 human cleric, pro-black and pro-red. When it enters the battlefield, exile all cards that are black or red from all graveyards. If a black or red permanent spell or card not on the battlefield. Really had to make the wording as awkward as possible. To n Only thing it's avoiding is the weird Leyline of the Void thing, where Leyline of the Void doesn't stop tokens from going to the graveyard. <laughs> That's the only difference that all of this like nonsense wording makes. Well, no, because tokens would be a black or red permanent. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that this works on tokens? Leyline of the Void does oh, not. Oh, okay, okay. Work on tokens. Otherwise, it's just a black or red card. Right. If it's a right, if it were worded like Leyline of the Void, it would say if a black or red card would be put into a graveyard, exile it instead. Which would mostly do everything that you want to do with this card. It's just a Couldn't little confusing that it doesn't work on tokens. Couldn't you say like if a black or red card or token would be put into a battlefield? Would be put into a graveyard, just exile it instead? Yeah. Would, would that not do it? Maybe that's even a little weirder because then you're just like a tote. But like this text makes you go, what? I mean, it's like 40 less words. So. Yeah. Anyways, this is a rest in peace for black and red cards and comes with a 2-2 protection from black, protection from red body. This card's pretty gross against Dredge, I would say. Yeah, it's pretty gross against every black and red, black and red want to be graveyard deck too which because a lot of the black and red decks just happen to do graveyard stuff yeah because that's i mean black's really good at it mm -hmm. so this card's a, a haymaker and a half for sure yeah not too much to say about it. it's just like a, a good hate card right yeah and it may be versatile enough that like it deserves some slots like you have it for dredge but you bring it in against prowess too because it blocks all of their creatures or something so hits their lava darts yeah that's true I, that's that's, that's not nothing. good it that's one less prowess trigger lava darts the second best card in that deck behind manamorphos like mm. yeah it's not close either no of course but yeah this card is kind of unreal it will see plenty of play just to note that we get fire and ice yeah i mean it could have been modern already and no one would have noticed that's probably true the the one thing is you can't cascade into it so if you need a removal spell that you can't cascade into this is one of those and it also cycles when you don't want the so like it's a good replacement for, like, Dead Gone, potentially, in, in a Cascading deck. But sadly, you can no longer Isochrons after it. No, I don't believe that that would be strong enough for Modern anyways. <laughs> uh, we get Karmic Guide back in the set, too. Yep. Which is only really notable because it combos with Protean Hulk. Yep. Uh, if you want to do the Unmarked Grave, Footsteps of the Goryeo, get back Protean Hulk. 
you can get karmic guide and a carrion feeder and there's steps i don't remember the exact chain there's oh yeah yeah it's karmic guide to get back the protein hulk and carry a feeder sack the protein hulk get two other stuff and and go off from there yeah it could also you could also make it work with body double anyways Mm -hmm. i mean it might take an extra card or so but you could still make it work but yeah karmic guide's probably part of that it's a creature that reanimates other creatures so sometimes that will be useful uh territorial kavu the inspiration for like the most unplayable modern horizons 2 modern decks i've seen posted on twitter so far this is you don't like five color aggro decks that want to play triumphs i do not huh weird this is red green for a star star Power and toughness are equal to the number of basic land types among lands you control. Whenever it attacks, choose one. Discard a card if you do draw a card. Or exile up to one target card from a graveyard. You know, like, this is an okay card. It's very big, potentially. Those triggered abilities are useful. The deck... And I'm definitely not saying, like, there is no deck. Like, Like, this card is powerful enough that I could see it. The lists that I've seen so far are not inspiring to me. I also just came off a tournament where I watched multiple people just lose the game to Sundering Titan. <laughs> so I'm not sure, like, Niv-Mizzet seems the obvious place. Like, if they want a Tarmogoyf, they have this card now, mm-hmm. which gives them some early thing to do mm-hmm. instead of just Ren 6. Because you can't always have Ren 6, unfortunately. <laughs> but you're still not beating, like, Sundering Titan, I guess, in that deck. And in other decks, your deck hasn't been strong in forever. Is this card really going to push it over the edge? Yeah, I don't think so. There, There's some way to use this, probably. The plan of fetch a Triome on turn one, play my first aggro threat on turn two, in no game during this tournament am I going to play a one-drop, that's not a tournament-winning strategy. You're going to lose games on turn three a lot, or you're just not going to pressure your opponent enough. Like, you skip your first turn, you cast Territorial Kavu, they fatal push it, like, nice aggro deck, you've done nothing. And the, the alternative is just a normal, like, fetch shock, turn one, play a one drop. Mm-hmm. Fetch shock, play this. You've, you know, dealt yourself a million damage in a format where prowess is huge. Yeah, I... Like, this is the type of card that... It, it's kind of in the same realm as uh, Dothy Voidwalker, where it just, like, has a bunch of vulnerabilities and awkwardness, but... I don't think that its ceiling is quite as, you know, enormous. I mean, this, the ceiling of Territorial Kava is you have a 5-5 five, five Rummager, right? Yeah. The ceiling of Dothy Voidwalker is a f- you have a, a monumental Karn. hate card. Yeah, yeah. Hate oh, card yeah, or, or a free card. Yeah. So I'm not convinced by this card. It could have a place. The decks that I've seen it in look really bad. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong. I think this card is actually fine. Yeah. Like, it, it reads really well. It's got good text. But the decks that I, like you said, they're just not there. No. Like, they all have monumental weaknesses. They look like modern decks from 2015. Like, What do you think about Dam? Dang. Darn. <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> black, black sorcery. Destroy target creature. A creature destroyed this way can't be regenerated. Overload. Two black, black. My two white, white. Or, yeah, two white, white. Uh. My hope is that this replaces Supreme Verdict in a lot of like Esprit style decks so that you can counter their wraths sometimes. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, this card's obviously extremely powerful version of this. It's nice to have a split card that is kill your thing on turn two if you're not a deck that I want sweepers against, or it's a sweeper where I want sweepers. I don't know what deck this goes into besides, like, Esper Control, but I'm sure that it gets a slot or two in that deck. I think it gets a slot. Mm -hmm. This is, like, a flex card, because I do think Supreme Verge is much superior, and having a sorcery speed single target removal is really awkward. Mm-hmm. That what doesn't kill Planeswalkers, like Dreadboard does. Right, right. Uh, I think this card is good because it's flexible. Yeah. But ultimately, I don't know if you have the slots or can afford just playing zero Supreme Verdicts because that card is uh, being uncounterable for that card matters a lot more than you think it does. Well, I do think that this card is better than a lot of the cards that are being played against Prowess. Uh, I mean, it is in its wrath form. It is spell pierceable where. Supreme Verdict is not. So that is definitely, uh, don't get me wrong, that is a thing. But the fact that it is, oh no, they played Stormwing Entity on turn two. Good thing my Wrath also kills Stormwing Entity on turn two. And then it's, oh crap, they have uh, two one drops and a Sprite Dragon in play or whatever. Well, good thing this, my point removal spell is also a sweeper. Like, I think that's a relatively, that's a relatively common, like, concern scenario where your your matchup dances between those two extremes where like one threat needs to go or multiple threats need to go and you know this handles both of them i don't think you can play a ton of this it's a sorcery it never costs less than two but i think it is pretty useful yeah i i like this card a lot i'm definitely not gonna buy any anytime soon because they're like 40 dollars for some reason it's a rare it's a rare just get it it's gonna be 10 10 at max and that's if casual players are buying it up, which they will. But, like, it's a rare. Every card in the set is good. Like, it's not going to be expensive. Like, some of the, some of the prices for pre-orders in the set is just wild to me. Like, Persist is 7 bucks, and this thing is 35 That's insane. It's just, it's just like, isn't Persist the flashier card? Yeah, but this is, this is really evocative. This is a perfectly designed... Yeah, it's really cool. Like... This is a perfect magic card, you know? There's very few, like, pure 10 out of 10 magic cards, and this is one of them. Okay, bold call. In my opinion, as a, a magic card appreciator, I believe this is a perfect magic card design. Okay. I mean, I, I like this card's design, but I like this card's design in the same way that I like Twisted Reflections design, <laughs> which was really using the rules to just get a weird effect in blue. See, I like this design because of, I mean, because of a lot of things. Like, it's really evocative and calls back to, like, multiple points in the history of Magic the Gathering. We're getting Wrath of God in there and we're getting Damnation in there. We're getting that sort of, like, tension between white and black having Wrath and removal effects. It, like, the name is four letters and it is, like, perfect for what this is. The art is spectacular and also a callback to those effects and it's just i also really like this card of old order it feels like it really belongs there yeah a lot of black cards feel that way more so than any other border i think the bubbles are really good looking uh, i don't want to ignore master of death because we now have a squee in modern and i think that having that in the format is a big difference over not having that in the format this works with yeah like for solitary, solitary confinement exactly <laughs> 
does cost you a life to return it each time, which actually is a significant difference if your game plan involves doing this over and over. You can't do it literally forever. Yeah, if you don't know what Master of Death is, it's 1UB for 3-1. When it enters the battlefield, you surveil 2. And if it's in your graveyard in your upkeep, you can pay a life to return to your hand. Yeah. It's going to be a pain in the ass and limited, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it will be. It even blocks. Well, that's when you just slam your uh, Sanctifier in vac and just get him. Oh, yeah. What do you think about Gaydron Dihada? Which I'm sure is how you pronounce that. 1-U-R-B. Oh, it's Grixis. For four loyalty. Yeah. Zero out of five. Legendary Planeswalker. Uh, permits. Sorry, this card has protection for permits with corruption counters on them. How do you get corruption counters? Lee, what is well, a corruption counter? <laughs> her plus one causes each opponent to lose two life and you gain two life. And you put a corruption counter on up to one other target creature or planeswalker. Minus three is gain control target creature or planeswalker until end of turn. Oh, I didn't realize I could control planeswalkers. That's neat. Uh, untap it, put a corruption counter on it, and that gains haste until end of turn. And her minus seven is gain control of everything with a corruption counter on it. I... So number one, this is in Grixis colors, which is a pretty yep. big strike against it. Yep. Uh, number two, it's a four mana planeswalker. Like, let's hold the let's hold the fingers for the four mana planeswalkers that see play in modern. Jace the mind sculptor. Sometimes. Chandra torture defiance. I saw that in play in semifinals. Uh huh. Yeah. This this last weekend. Uh, four mana Vraska. Sometimes a one of. Is that the end of the list? Probably, probably shouldn't be in that <laughs> but but like right we're 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 picking up the dregs that's about it any other four mana planeswalkers see play in modern gideon gideon ally of zendikar does it where no not really not really <laughs> like that card's so pushed and it doesn't i mean this does like protect itself pretty well but also like what is it doing like i keep seeing when, when this card got spoiled, I kept seeing tweets about people, like, excited about this card and, like, pointing out scenarios where, like, look, it's doing things. Like, it protects itself. You can't Karn this thing. Like, this card's really good against Karn. And it's just, like, okay, like, you can pick out specific scenarios where it's, like, oh, wow, this card is doing a weird thing that, like, is good in that spot. But it's just, like, not doing that much. It's draining for two a turn. Like... <laughs> Unless they walk into its abilities. Like, what the hell is it doing? That's how I feel about this card. I do think it's a pretty good Planeswalker in terms of protecting itself. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it's actually surprisingly difficult to kill. Because they just have, like, one thing in play or two things in play. Because you're like Grixis. Right. That's what your deck does. I mean, it... Like, it's really easy to do to, to build up loyalty on this thing. Right. But it's not doing anything. Like, it, you're, you're playing Grixis. Usually control. And you're not... I don't get it. I, You've dealt six damage to them? I believe this card will not be in a single modern top eight. Like, we can we can watch for the next year and we won't see a single copy in a modern top eight, I believe. I think this card is an extremely niche role player. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it'll ever get there. That's kind of where I stand on it. I don't think it's horrible, but I don't... I don't I don't know where the spots you can play it is. I think that what it is, like, I think it does play better than it reads. You read it and you're like, what does this card even do? And then you, like, 
visualize it against creatures and you're like okay yeah it's like hard to kill it's gonna like drain them for two a turn and then maybe do something later on so like i do think it reads or it plays it will play out better than it reads but i think people have taken that and then made the jump into oh this is good but it's just better than it looks and i don't think that it gets there to be good enough that you actually want it but i will say the first time you like get carned and then play this thing, steal their car, and use it on their land, you're just going to feel great. Oh, absolutely. But It's going to be like a run around the table, high five everyone kind of moment. But, you know, most games when you get carned, they just killed your land, and you cannot cast this now. Yeah, whatever. Shut up. So... <laughs> Speaking of Karn, can we talk about Calder Complete just really quickly? Yeah. Because I don't... I don't think this card's playable, but I think you disagree with me on that. But this is a seven mana equipment with a living weapon, indestructible, and the equipped creature gets plus plus five, plus five, plus five, first strike, trample, indestructible, haste, and whenever this deals combat damage to a creature, exile that creature with equip seven. I think calling this card unplayable is just like crazy to me. It's just so clearly good with Stoneforge Mystic. I know that it doesn't do the same thing as Batter Skull in a lot of spots. It also kills way faster than Batter Skull if you're actually yeah, just to... five damage every time. Yes, and it has haste. So instead of taking six turns from when you put it in play to kill, it takes four. You know, it, it's just way, way, way faster at killing your opponent. It also gives Trample, which is super, super relevant in the Hammer Time deck. You know, it doesn't like race or play a value game as well as a Batter Skull does. But basically, like, there are spots where you just kind of get Batter Skull, but you're like, yeah, this isn't really that good against my opponent here. And I think Culture Complete is, in the spots where Batter Skull isn't good, Culture Complete is good. I love this card, first of all. It's a callback to, like, the stuff I like. Mm -hmm. So I want this card to be good. But it costs a lot of mana. I want to believe you really badly. <laughs> Batter Skull costs a lot of mana. Like, only no, be. It doesn't cost five. Yeah, but not that. Like, the vast majority of games where Batter Skull is relevant, you are putting it into play with Stoneforge Mystic. So I don't think that is that is a, a, a defeating knock against a card. Yes, I agree. But, like, when I reveal this off my Stoneforge Mystic, I, and my opponent kills the Stoneforge Mystic because they don't want Culture to complete it and come into play. Mm -hmm. And that curse is just not going to come into play, Whereas, which is just not the case with Batter Skull, even though it's got all these like big upsides. I mean, like Batter Skull can come into play, but generally, like when they kill the Stoneforge Mystic that got the Batter Skull, like you're trying to figure out some way of getting this Batter Skull out of your hand. It's not like, OK, great, that's fine. I got a Batter Skull out of it. It's like, oh, man, I really did want to put this Batter Skull into play. Like, I, I don't think the gap is that big between like this one is pretty much uncastable and batter skull is like not a lot of games are decided by the hard cast batter skull i do agree batter skull is not that great i i i'm just gonna believe you i want this card to be good i just think it I'm, is i'm for it I, it's weird that they removed like they added words to this card because sort of culture didn't care about combat damage it was just any damage mm -hmm. and they just added combat damage to this card for some reason even though it's like a direct throwback well, it's got first strike, so it's, uh, yeah, sort of, sort of culture. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I. But I don't think you're ever putting culture complete onto like 
uh, an is it Statocaster or anything like that. So here's another question. <laughs> if you have a sword, shield, and helm of Cauldra, mm-hmm. and you equip them all to all Cauldra complete, mm-hmm. well, how does that work? It's just got two sets of armor. It's dual wielding. Follow, follow-up question. If you make Cauldra uh-huh. and then equip Cauldra complete to it, mm-hmm. is it Cauldra super complete? Yeah. You, dual wielding swords. You're wearing two helmets. You got a couple of shields for backup. <laughs> Amazing. But it's supposed to be like the same set of equipment. I don't know how any of this works. Okay. All right. I mean, we can have two Gideons in play at the same time. They're supposed to be the same dude. I think that's because people just thought you could, and so they changed the rules to allow it. Mm-hmm. Well, same with this. Okay, I'm on board. Sure. I hope this card's great. I want to put this card in play. Me too. It's sweet. Uh, we're getting Vindicate. Not the most powerful card anymore. It costs a whole three mana, but it can kill lands, and that versatility is a type of versatility that we very rarely get. So having a removal spell that also you can kill a Tron land with or something is not terrible. Yeah, I think this card is very playable. I like it a lot. Yeah, it, It'll see some sideboard play, and that will be good enough. Yep, I agree. Timeless Witness, I believe, is not a good card. No, it's just Eternal Witness for another mana, mm-hmm. but you get to eternalize it for seven mana. Yeah. The problem is you can't like company into Timeless Witness or do all the things that Timeless Witness does or Eternal Witness does, but just a mana more. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that it becomes much worse at one mana more, and you would you would never play this over any copies of Eternal Witness, and it's very difficult to justify four Eternal Witnesses in a deck, anyways. So yeah, moving on from this one, uh, the Venerals disc is in this set which is neat but horrible well skyclear apparition exists yes there is one scenario where this card is worth considering you can karn for it it doesn't kill your karn oh that's true i forgot that it's weird it's templated in an old way before planeswalkers didn't exist right artifacts creatures and enchantments it is pretty slow though if you can't cast it the turn that you cast your karn then you're waiting like several turns to wrath but there aren't that many artifacts that you can wish for with Karn that then, like, actually wrath the board. Like, Engineer Explosives is pretty limited in, in what you get. Uh, Oblivion Stone is very expensive. Like, this is just... It kills Karn. Yes. And, and also just costs a million mana. This one is significantly more attainable and kills everything but Planeswalkers, so... All right, we've got to do some quick hits because I've ordered food. That's fine. Esper Sentinel, I think, is... The more I think about it, the more I don't think it's good at all. Yeah, it's optional, and it only works on the first spell per turn. This is white mana for a 1-1 artifact creature human soldier. When an opponent casts their first non-creature spell each turn, draw a card, unless that player pays X, where X is Esper Sentinel's power. Like, it's got a lot of little things going for it. It's an artifact. It's a human. I guess those are the little things going for it. It costs 1 mana. Which is, you know, that's the slot. But the ability, I think, is very, very close to having no text at all. And that that's not good enough in modern. I, I would be far more interested if this were the first spell. Like, if it worked on creatures. Mm-hmm. That would be worth looking at. Sure. But since, like, your opponent could just play creatures, and then when they have their removal spell, pay an extra mana for it. That's or not. Or that not, deal. if they don't care, and you just... yeah. 
Wrath your board. All right, you can, you can draw a card. I mean, you, you have this and some other creatures out, and they're just like, Fatal Push that one, Lightning Bolt that one. Don't pay the mana. You can draw a card, but like, you know, you spent a card on this one mana 1-1, one, one, so I don't really care about giving you a free card at some point. The only place I can really see this kind of fitting in isn't humans, because I think humans is still unplayable due to the existence of Lava Dart. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more hardened scales because that deck really wanted more one mana artifact stuff. You increase its power and it wants a lot of resources. I still don't think it's good enough in that deck. And I think hardened scales also got two better one drops in this set. Yeah, they were previewed like right after. Yeah. So I don't believe that this fills any holes there. Uh, those those cards are a one mana one one modular lifelink for a white. And Arcbound Mauser, it's a cat. Yes, it's adorable. You can do a cranial plating type thing with it, which was always a like really good thing in Affinity for beating decks that you wanted to race against. This one has toughness, so you can't even bolt it necessarily. And so, like, how how do you ever beat this with burn or prowess if it gets online? And then there is the wasp, the legendary Zabaz. Zabaz. Which yeah, that that card is mostly an arcbound worker, but Harden Scales wanted as many arcbound workers as it needed. Yeah, like it just it just would play if it could. Yeah, it was just short arcbound workers, and now it gets better ones. Yeah, this is just arcbound worker with like text that's guaranteed to confuse players that don't that haven't read an article about how it works. Basically, yeah, basically how this we read this on the last episode, but it like improves your modular triggers, mm-hmm. but not modular itself. So if you play an arcbound worker, it's a one one. But if the Arcbound Worker dies, it moves its counters plus one to something else, as long as the Baz is in play. But it also doesn't improve its own modular trigger when it dies, because it's in the graveyard, so it can't do that replacement effect to it. So it's just, like, poorly designed. <laughs> but if you play a multiple, you do get two counters. Like, if you play the second one. Right. Which is kind of neat. I like that. Yes. That you're, you, your card's not just dead. And it's probably more than two counters because you're playing hardened skills. So like, yes, it's like one, like a lot of one mana put three counters onto this walking ballista. Like that's a really good card. <laughs> All right, your board's dead. Uh, I I I'm looking forward to like messing around with hardened skills. I just need to like pull the trigger and buy the ozolith because that's a card I haven't purchased yet. Well, that can't be more than a couple of dollars, right? You'd be surprised. Okay, it's like twelve dollars. <laughs> uh, okay, so just to talk through a couple more very quickly. Yavimaya, Cradle of Growth. I don't like this design. This is Urborg for I mean, forests. I think Urborg should though. just be Urborg. It, it is a good card, though. Yeah, it's basically Urborg. I mean, I think that its its primary use is like to use Corian Ranger to bounce. Gaia's Cradles, so that you can replay them and get extra mana. I think that's like the main use of Yavimaya, but there there may be some other things. It, it like fixes your mana sometimes, mm-hmm. especially for the stupid Yakmoth deck, which wanted to play so many different pips. Sure, I can see it. Yeah, Stranger Geist into Dross Messenger, <laughs> now possible. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of liked... Yavimaya. I kind of liked Urborg being its own standalone thing. Like, I don't think we needed 
any copies of it. And we can't do any of the other ones. You certainly can't do a mountain version. <laughs> no. Or else Primeval Titan I mean, is just lethal every time. I, I, I'm i normally with you. I like Earthwork being its own thing because it's like a corrupting influence. But in the lore, like Yavimaya was the opposite of Urborg. Mm -hmm. It was like a, a force that kept growing forever. So I'm fine with this. Yeah, but I mean, just from a card design, I, I don't know. I don't think it adds to the game to have two. I think it, it is neat to have it as a single effect, but we're not in that world anymore. So that's fine. Imperial Recruiter is getting printed into modern. Two and a red, one, one, ETB, search your library for a creature card with power two or less, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. This card's going to see a ton of play in modern. This card's really, really good. Yep. The full art version has Gigi Jiggy and Pestermite in the background, <laughs> which is something you can do with it, for sure. Mm -hmm. You. It's also great in like every single Aether Vile deck that can play red cards in it. This is exactly the way that you want to be putting together your stuff. I've seen Boros taxes way more than is merited by just the existence of Magas of the Moon. Mm -hmm. But now this card makes it a little more acceptable, right? Yeah. Because you have some sort of value engine. Yeah. And this gets Magus of the Moon when that is important too. Uh, mm -hmm. It does a lot. It's also just straight up good in humans. Like you absolutely play this over Militia Bugler because if when humans becomes playable again, which will happen at some point, Humans has two halves of the deck. You've got the muscle and you've got like the taxing disruption part and you want to be putting together those pieces in the right way. And Recruiter is a, while it will find Thalia's Lieutenant 80% of the time, sometimes you want a piece of disruption. Yeah, You can either find Thalia or her Lieutenant. <laughs> or sometimes you just want the Kite Sales Freebooter to just draw step, lock them out or whatever. Uh, what about Sevelin of Sea and Sky, the Merfolk God? Uh, yeah, if we're getting Merfolk, this is part of that reason. Yeah, one UU, three, four, legendary creature, Merfolk God. It's indestructible, but only as long as you control at least two other Merfolk. Uh, whenever she attacks, draw a card, and other Merfolk you control have Ward 1. If Merfolk's a deck, this gets played in it. Like, one, this card's just really, really powerful. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a surgence of Merfolk decks, too, with the, uh, the two one-drops they get, plus this card. We'll see if that's good enough to make it break through, but it's it's certainly interesting. It's also borderline a thing kind of all on its own. Like a three mana three four that you draw a card whenever it attacks is like not that far off, right? I mean, especially if, if this was in like a non-Merfolk Vile deck where at some point you're just like, Vile this in, untap, start attacking. But I, I think primarily it's... It's a merfolk thing. Mm -hmm. It loses just all of its text if you're not playing merfolk, <laughs> except for the attack one. Right, and I don't think that just the attack text is quite good enough. The indestructibility is pretty key against spot removal, and it also works against wrath style sweepers, wrath. but it does not work against anger of the gods style sweepers, which are typically not very good against merfolk. <laughs> yeah, you can outgrow them. Yeah, I guess anger of the god also just doesn't kill this. It has four toughness. <laughs> Well, Anger of the Gods, style it, like all the damage things. Right, yeah. but like none of the more than three damage sweepers really see play in modern, so so like this just is good against Supreme Verdict, and that's pretty nice. General Ferris Rockerick? Yeah. One red-white, 3-1 human soldier, hexproof from monocolored. 
Whenever you cast a multicolored spell, create a 4-4 red and white golem artifact creature token. This has also been in a number of the really unplayable five-color zoo decks that I have seen. It's like you like one drops or something. I don't get it. I I like not just looking at my hand and being like, oh my god. How how the hell am I going to play magic with this hand? I, I think this card is a huge payoff mm-hmm. for those kind of decks where you just like get a million four fours into play. But the cost is quite high because multicolored cards are two mana spells, except if they're not metamorphose. Right. The thing is you don't need to cast a lot to get your money's worth out of this card. Yeah, you just cast like honestly if you cast one you're in good shape if you cast two you're rolling in it yeah i mean if you know if this is a card that you can generally count on untapping with which it's got hexproof from monocolored so can't lava dart it can't fatal push it can't path it can't solitude it like it doesn't die to most of the commonly played stuff which is good for a three mana creature you have to untap with (laughs) yes Uh, but you play it you untap with it and you go metamorphose multicolored spell like that's really good. You're way ahead at that point. And that's a good play. Also, either just like casting Shardless Agent and flipping into a uh, yeah. multicolored spell, that's also good. Yep. Uh, the problem then, like you really have to, when you're building this deck, figure out how to put one drops in your deck because modern, your deck's not going to operate if you're all twos and threes. It's just not going to be good. Right. And I don't think you worry about trying to like find the multicolored one drop. I think you just play the good one drops. And you just happen to have some decent number of multicolored spells in your deck and you trigger this a couple of times and get a ton of power off of him. Yeah, it's like um, Psy Master Thoughtress mm-hmm. on speed. Right, it's just there's, <laughs> Psy... there's no zero mana multicolored cards. <laughs> yeah, Psy was good because you, he like juked, he made a bunch of creatures, but you just played stuff normally. Mm-hmm. But the reason Psy worked was because you played your normal cards and he gave you another game plan. This card, you have to bend a little bit around, but you don't want to make your deck like all unplayable cards to make this thing work. You just want your deck to work without him because you're not going to draw him all the time. This could actually also be a juke in the Niv-Mizzet deck. Post-board, mm-hmm. they have like counter spells and slower grindy stuff. And you're just like, turn three, General Ferris Rockrick, Go. And they're like, oh my. And then you just like lightning helix them and then they die to four fours. I, I actually like that a lot because Boros is one of the worst color combinations for Nymphism. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of cards you get out of it. Yeah. It's just lightning and, helix. Yeah, it's just lightning helix, right? I don't think it's any other card. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else is left real quick? Uh, Bone Shards, I think, is notable. And that may be the last one. Yeah, Bone Shards is really good. Yeah. It's uh, black mana sorcery as an additional cost to cast it. Either sacrifice creature or discard a card, and it's destroy target creature or planeswalker. Lightning Axe has seen so much play in decks that want to discard a card and want to kill something. This is very similar. It's sorcery speed, but it also works with your creatures that you've gotten into play. You know, dredge with blood ghasts. Like this could be a great card at any point in the game, and it's just like really versatile, really cheap. Kills creatures and planeswalkers. And yeah, this card's good. Yep. It's it's probably the best discard enabler they put in the set, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, that we've seen so far. I think we're waiting on like 30 cards still. Uh, what, oh, what do you think about uh, Asmore in our cookbook? Do you want to try to pronounce the name nope. of the, the gold card? I'll do it if you do it. I'm 
I'm good. You can do it. This is a challenge. I mean, you're welcome. You can do whatever you want. This is your podcast, too. No, nah, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'll <laughs> just embarrass myself. Yeah, so no mana cost. I think it's very cute that the name wouldn't have fit if there were a mana cost, so they just excluded that part of the card. Black, red, color identity. As long as you've discarded a card this turn, you can pay black or red hybrid to cast a spell so just one mana when it enters the battlefield you may search your library for a card named the underworld cookbook reveal it put it into your hand then shuffle sacrifice two foods target creature deals six damage to itself and the underworld cookbook is a one mana artifact with tap discard a card create a food token for tap sacrifice the underworld cookbook return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand so i think you know, I listening to other people talk about this card, like one of the things that they said and treated like it was really obviously true is that well, the Underworld Cookbook is just a terrible card, so you don't want like a lot of copies. And I that was really surprising to me, and I see it's surprising to you too, because this is a really cheap madness slash discard enabler, and we haven't had those, and that can be good enough to let you do stuff that you wouldn't be able to have put together otherwise. Yeah, it built a lot of decks even when Faithless Looting was legal. And I, the decks I built were just like, all right, I got to get cards in my hand and four Faithless Looting is not enough. Mm-hmm. I, I really need like Putrid Emperor or something. Yeah, and this is and a Putrid Emperor. cookbook, yeah, it's it's not that far off. Yeah. It also generates resources. Resources? I, mean, I was willing to just discard cards for any reason. Resources that get turned into removal spells by Asmore. Mm-hmm. I think Asmore's a little trickier to play because you have to jump through a couple hoops, mm-hmm. but... Not that many. Like, there's a lot of cards in Modern that are good to pair with it. Street Wraith, Aether Vial are some of the better ones. Yeah, bone- this is your mana card. You can Aether Vial it on turn one. Bone shards. Uh, yeah. we have a Rootwalla in red now that I think is like relatively acceptable to play. You really, you would rather be using it to cheat Venge Vines is certainly the ideal use case for that card, but it's also just turns a discard into i have a creature that deals three damage pretty easily if it connects i i think these both of these cards are good but not like universally good they're not good the way fatal push is good right of course they're just really good at what they do (laughs) which is do things in a hollow one type deck yeah mostly be an enabler yeah I, i think the cookbook is the real star of the show between the two of them mm-hmm. mostly because all Hasmore does is get the cookbook <laughs> and once you start cooking things then she does something mm-hmm. but your goal is to start cooking right and and other than that when you're not cooking things she's a wild mccoddle which is kind of whatever uh, we do the shouts of thousands of zoo players across the world <laughs> we are also getting kitchen imp which is a 2-2 flying haste with madness of a black. And that's actually like quite a bit of damage pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. One last thing before we close it off here, I think, uh, is just the artifact lands. Mm-hmm. So there's a cycle of artifact lands, one for each color pair. They completely tapped, they're indestructible, and they tap two colors of mana. I, I think these cards are not good. They're, they're like sweet, but they completely tapped, so that's almost a non-starter yep because any deck that wants to take advantage of having artifact lands 
wants to be spending all of its mana as much as it can, and that kind of precludes comfortably tapped lands. Yeah. Maybe in some small numbers for some very specific scenarios, but not for casting frogmites and mirror enforcers. That's not what these lands are doing. Mm-mm. And they're, I don't even think they're very good for Run Ravager or Emery. Like those cards are just right because you're too aggressive. You 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 use all of your mana in the first couple of turns in those types of decks. Mm-hmm. It also works really weird with Emery because you can't you, you can't cast artifact lands with Emery. She only casts spells. And it also doesn't really reduce the cost of memory because it's your you land drop. Play tapped, yeah, yeah. Like okay. you could just use a basic and tap it for mana to do that. Yeah, unless you are casting Emery on a later turn or something. But like Emery decks generally can use every single mana for the first several turns. So that's what Emery lets you do. You just use all your mana all the time. Yeah. So yeah, I I think we've gone over enough. Next week, we will do our full set review sort of thing with our top cards in each of the colors. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, it's going to be kind of difficult. Well, it's going to be very difficult because I think cards are good in different ways. Like, right. I think the Underworld Cookbook is really good, but also I'm sure there's some colorless card that I'm not thinking of right now that is just generically better. And and I mean, the old Underworld Cookbook's goodness relies entirely on is this type of deck good enough do we have all the pieces and then is it well positioned in modern which are very tough questions to answer like these cards are all mostly very specific because that's what you have to be to be to have a chance in modern and so it's it's not like oh yeah this is the best burn spell in the set we'll put it on the list yeah it was it was hard doing strixhaven because none of the cards were good enough this set has the entirely opposite problem Right, right There's way too many good cards. But it's mostly going to be... Our lists are mostly going to be what are the cards... What are the five cards from each color that you're the most excited to do stuff with? So I think that Mm -hmm. that is a pretty fair way to approach this. Or see other deck lists online with. Mm -hmm. That's also a big part of my enjoyment from this set. Yeah, yeah. I've been a little judgy about the deck lists that I've seen so far. But we'll get there. I mean... it's fair, but I I like people just trying out stuff, even though it's like you clearly can't play a deck in modern without any one drops. <laughs> yes, you clearly can't play a deck in modern without any one drops. A lot of these decks just lose to Lava Dart or the rest of the Prowess deck. I'm willing to forgive that because <laughs> they're they're trying to live in a better life. I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, you've got food to eat, so... Thanks to everybody so much for listening. Really, really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. That's it for us. Have a great week. Bye.